Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 498 with Chef Mitchell Barons. I'd rather make less money and have earned every penny of it for myself than make more money and rely on somebody else to give it to me. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. To make it as a restaurateur today, you have to show your people you care. So demonstrate to your team that you are committed to providing a workplace that operates with the highest ethical standards by signing up for a subscription to restaurantethics.com. Ethics Suite offers the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easy, and securely from any device with an internet connection. One last time, that's restaurantethics.com. All right, with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Mitchell Barons. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm unstoppable indeed. <laughs> yes. So hailing from Rotterdam, Holland, Chef Mitchell Behrens got his start as a dishwasher in Charlottesville, VA. After getting some time in the corporate swamp, quote unquote, uh, Behrens conned his way into OXO, the best restaurant in Charlottesville at the time. Behrens further developed his chef skills at Mas Tapas and then continued on to refine his business skills at the Virginia Restaurant Company, where he opened four restaurants. And in, four, in 2014, he partnered with Lauren Mendoza and Redshaw Andrew Cole and Shelly Rob to open Lampo Pizza. Three years later, they opened their second, or sorry, three years later, they're opening their second location, Prime 109, which is hopefully going to open this summer if everything goes according to plan. It's an exciting time for you guys. I'm pumped. Yeah, um, very exciting. Uh, I, I want to make sure that uh, I get it out there. I opened the restaurant with all those people, but there are a bunch of other people that yeah. Definitely chipped in, and I want to thank them oh. for all the help they gave us. It was a big nice. community effort. Yeah. We rich, we reached out to a lot of people. We we pretty much called in every favorite, every person we've we've met along the way. And there being so many of us, that was one of the sort of uh, the benefits. That was one of the benefits. We had all yeah. we had all these these people that cared about us, and all these separate people that that cared about us individually and we could bring this whole team together to, to really it, call on some favors and yeah and get this, this place done if this story kind of sounds familiar a lot of the, the details that i pointed out today it's because ann redshaw was on the show um not too long ago i should have looked up the episode i think it was episode 480 episode 480 so if you want to uh check that episode before checking out this episode maybe go back there or just continue listening but i'm i'm, I'm gonna try to get all five yeah. of the partners. On I would the definitely show. suggest going back and listening to Ian's. That's my boy. That kid is, that kid <laughs> yeah. is the future. That kid is the future of the industry. So I'm going to kind of set this up a little, just a little more because, um, the way you guys are tackling this massive project, which I got the the privilege of getting a behind the scenes look at this beautiful yeah. project you guys are working on. Beautiful as a construction zone can be. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I love the approach of uh, five partners and a lot of people um, would say like, don't ever go into business with partners, but I personally am on the side of you to do it. Something truly special. You, you need the partner. So it's going to be kind of cool to kind of dive into your lanes, each of your stories and how you're contributing to this massive project. I'm, I'm really excited for what's going to happen, but let's bring it back to you. Um, how did you get started in the industry? Bring it back to when you first started. So getting started in food, uh, 
you know, I've always been a fat kid. Uh, I, I, I just, I, I, you know, I was, when I was a little kid, I was lazy about so many things, but one thing I was never too lazy to do was get in the kitchen and cook myself a meal. I, like I, I mean, I set my mom's house on fire when I was, I don't know, like 12 years old, like set it on fire, <laughs> uh, trying to perfect my French toast. This wasn't just me like making French toast. This was me like cranking the heat all the way up as hot as I could because I was like, how can I get this French toast crispy on the outside and still tender and custardy <laughs> on the inside? And I hadn't become a professional chef yet, obviously. So I hadn't learned to, to, uh, uh, to put things in hot oil away from yourself. And I just slapped <laughs> it down in, it burnt me. I knocked the whole thing over, all the hot oil went all over the burner, boom, mom's house on fire, just for some French toast. Uh, well, hey man, lessons learned yeah. the hard way, are they not? Absolutely, but then so I took that, that, that drive and that, that love of food and I didn't do very well in school. I think that's a, a story that you hear from a lot of chefs. Yeah, not many of us do. Yeah, or maybe school just wasn't for us. You know, there's a yeah. lot of focus on going to school and doing the traditional thing and and getting a degree and things like that. We don't have enough focus on trade in this country, I don't think. You know, and that's that's what was right for me was a trade. Okay, uh, and this this obviously was it. Um, but you got your first start in a restaurant as a dishwasher, yeah. Yeah, so I yeah, so I took that I took that strive to to want to cook. Uh, I wasn't doing well in school, so I didn't see that traditional route working out for me. So I started to say maybe I can get a job in a restaurant. You know, get some money. Yeah. Um, I left school fairly young, uh, never graduated. So there weren't a whole lot of options for me to get any jobs, you know, and I took a chance. Uh, I tried to get this job. I was too young to, I was already, no, I was still in school at the time. Uh, I, I wanted to get a job in a restaurant. I applied for a job as a dishwasher. I was 14 years old. I wasn't old enough to, to work yet legally. You couldn't even work with a work permit at that age. So I just went, I was brazen. I just went in and I was like, Hey man, can I get a job as a dishwasher? I'm not old enough. You can just pay me cash. And they were like, yeah, it seems fine. And I went home and I was like, mom, Scott, Scott's my brother. I, I went to this place and I think they're going to give me a job. And my brother's ears perked up. And I think he realized that I was too young and went there and talked to them like the next day. And he got the job because he was 15 and old enough to, yeah. or 16 and old enough to work it. Either way, he got the job. He, he did pretty well. He got promoted to cook. And then they were like, well, now we need a dishwasher. And my brother was like, well, my little brother, my little brother wanted the job. So yeah. they gave it to me. Nice. I would be in there that dish pit and I would be. I'd be up to my neck in, in dishes and I'd be looking on the line and those guys were cussing. Those guys were smoking cigarettes. They were drinking alcohol, like flirting with the servers. And for probably the first time in my entire life, I looked at other people and was like, those people are cooler than I am. How can I be more like them? Okay. Uh, so that sort of sealed the deal. That's when I really wanted to be in the industry. I, I was young and impressionable, and these guys seemed like very like anarchy sort of rock stars. Yeah. And I wanted to be like them. Now I don't so much want to be like them. <laughs> uh, but at the time, I did. So that got me into it. So Dishwashing what is where you in is maybe like the the people, and I'm right there with you because I, I I think I, I always say that what I love about this industry is the people. They're raw. They're authentic. Take me as I am. And well, back then it was. Like see, the people now I think are a lot more sophisticated i think it's a it's been treated now this was 20 years ago when i was yeah. a dishwasher it was 20 24 years ago probably uh back then it was sort of what you did between dropping out of high school and entering the federal penitentiary yeah. system <laughs> now being a chef is like cool and it's like a real job like 
I, I don't know the the people that I was looking at back then are not like the people that we have. Yeah. It's, it's not. I mean, I don't want to talk down on anybody. They weren't like the 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 highest. That's I get what you're saying. Yeah. I think people across the boards in all industries over the past twenty years have kind of uh, with the access of, to information and the the ability to to allow yourself to be influenced by outside yeah. like the the podcast and the information that's out there today. People are more uh, what's the word? I guess just cultured across the yeah. board. These guys were like. These guys were like yeah. criminals and I wanted to be like them. So uh, I'm curious at what point at this time, it sounds like you just were kind of like, a, you know, a young kid that was looking up to these like adults and uh, you want to be cool. But like, when did you really fall in love with the work? So after that job, uh, we moved out to the county. I couldn't work there anymore. I was too young to drive. Uh, I ended up working a couple odd jobs. I was like, a, I demoed yo-yos for a while. And I think I worked at like an ice cream shop for a while. Okay. Uh, but then this new restaurant opened up uh, inside the the mall here. It was called Red Robin, uh, and it looked hip and cool and fun. I needed a job, and I went in there for an interview because they were having like open interviews that yeah. day. And my mom sort of told me I had to. I was living with her at the time. Yeah. Uh, How and old are you now? Sixteen. I was 15? seventeen. Seventeen. Okay. Uh, and I think, and I was, I was not in school anymore. And I think okay. my mom was like, "If you ain't gonna be in school, you ain't gonna be in my house. You need yeah. a job." Yep. Uh, and I went through the interview because I, you know, my mom made me do it. They're doing on the spot interviews and they were, char- they were, they were offering $10 an hour for, for starting pay. And I had never, I mean, before that I had made like, I don't know, like five, I think five twenty five was minimum wage back then. Okay. Um, so I was like, this is it. Like I got to do this. So I did it. Uh, and it was fun. I learned a lot. Uh, got to meet a bunch of people, learn how to really bust out food. Like learn so how to- at this point, did you fall in love with it? Still wasn't in love with it. Still, okay. still was okay. definitely not in love with it. Um, bring us to that point. Bring us to that point. So then after Red Robin, after I'd worked this corporate, just, just slinging food out of a window, I was walking past this restaurant downtown, which is where all the nice restaurants were back then. And still, still most of the nice restaurants are now. And I looked in this restaurant. I was like, that place is fancy. Yeah. And I was just, again, I was brazen just like I was when I got, when I applied for that dishwasher job and I was too young to even work. I would just walked in there and I was like, will y'all give me a job? I'll be an intern. I didn't know what it meant. But obviously you can't be an intern if you're just walking off the streets, you know? Yeah. Um, and I told the guys that I would work again under the table for whatever cash. And I, I don't remember if that's how I was hired uh, necessarily, but I think it was enough for him to be like, you're willing to do whatever. And he gave me a shot. Yeah. And there, I want to go deep on this because that is a huge lesson. So we, so many people feel like they're entitled to something. If they want to go work for uh, the best, they feel like, you know, like just, you know, go through the, the traditional route, put in your resume. Or if you walk in and say, I'm going to, I want I'll do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. I'll work for free. You might work for free for a week. If you're, if you got what it takes, they'll give you a position. Cause, you know, if you prove yourself to them, cause they, they want that person that will do whatever it takes oh, to yeah. on the team. So are you taking a chance? Are you putting yourself out there? Are you doing whatever it takes yeah. to get on those really great restaurants? Like you are the average of those you surround yourself with. Go do whatever it takes to get on the best teams in your neighborhood or in your, wherever you are. Like yeah. Surround yourself with I mean, people. I had no business asking for that job. Yeah. Just like I had no business asking for that dishwashing job when I was too young to work. So you have to go in there with something, right? And my something was, Hey, I know I shouldn't be here. I'll do whatever it takes, yeah. you know? And the guy, and the guy was more than happy to take me on. He was actually a really cool guy. And man, he was so talented. And at the time, Marco Pierre White was sort of like the big thing. And this guy was rock and roll. He smoked Marlboros. He like, <laughs> uh, he cussed a lot online. He was like, I mean, he was like the real deal. I'd never seen like a real, and you know, on top, like the other guys were misbehaving at the, the place where I washed dishes and all, but they were making burgers and, and stuff like that. And like fried calamari yeah. with like marinara. This guy was all of those things that I thought were super cool. It's like criminal, criminal sort of element, but he was sophisticated and like, 
super talented, had tons of technique, uh, got all these ingredients that nobody else had. Like we we're the only ones that had like truffles in our yeah. restaurant at the time. It was a long time. This, you know, this, this was when, this was 18 years ago. That was, okay. People, truffles weren't just in restaurants back yeah. then. Yeah. So we're talking like turn of the, the new century. Uh, yeah. 2000. Yeah. Um, but the new, yeah, century. Um, <laughs> That's how that works. So, uh, you're talking about like the allure of this gentleman, not how you're impressionable at like, a young age. Oh, I was so terrified of that guy. But what did, was he considered one of your mentors? Was there any ways you learned on how to act or how to be that you picked up from him? Yeah. So, from? well, so what I learned from him was uh, the, the quality of the food, the quality of the ingredients being paramount to everything. If you don't have a good ingredient, then you can't cook with it mm. or you can't make good food with it. Okay. You could. Okay. So like, all right. So if, it's sort of like if I gave you an exact recipe to something that we make in the restaurant, right? If you can't go to my farm and get the same, you know, Brussels sprouts, say, you have to buy like factory, you know, commodity Brussels sprouts. And I give you the, the recipe for this dish and you take it home and you use like margarine or like what they call it, European butter, where it's like 80% butter, 20% margarine. Okay. As opposed to whole butter and you use these commodity uh, Brussels sprouts as opposed to these beautiful farm, you know, in season Brussels sprouts. Uh, and we make the exact same recipe, right? Which one are you going to pay more money for? Like if you have the choice to buy one or the other, which one are you going to buy? The one that's nicer. The, the one, yeah, the one that tastes better and the one yeah. that's going to taste better is going to be the one that has the, the better ingredients. Exactly. Like, like there's, you can't make, you can't skimp on that ingredient part because otherwise somebody else can just, can make the exact same thing as you yeah. and beat you. Like, why would you do that? Why would you give somebody else those tools? Exactly. You know? So what about how to be it? As far as how to conduct yourself, how to, how to be a leader. Was he a good leader in your, like reflecting back? Did you learn anything? Yeah, he was a good, he was a good leader in that, in that things got done. Yeah. Uh, at the, at the time, the, um, the, I would say the, um, I don't know, the trend, the fashion, the way that, that restaurants were run, we were still coming off of that, Throwing um, hands at each other. Type yeah, thing. we were still yeah. we were coming off of that, dropping out of high school, entering the federal penitentiary system, and going into that. You can make a career out of this yeah. thing. Um, so you know, the reason that people were a little more stern, I think, back or a lot more stern back then, were that they were dealing with a bunch of knuckleheads. Yeah, you know, people that didn't have their whole head in the game. Mm -hmm. um, and I was probably one of them. You know, like I said, I was horribly unqualified. So I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure, in hindsight, that I was just. Uh, exhausting to yeah. have to manage, you know? So let's zoom to 30,000 feet. So this is when you really broke into a real, uh, not, not to say that there, that corporate kitchens aren't real, but you, this is a, a more like from scratch kitchen, uh, old school people doing food, right? Um, zooming to 30,000 feet, reflecting back at the, the times between this restaurant and the other stops you made along the way to where you are now, yep. where were the most transitional points? You take me to the, the points uh, where you learned to develop certain skills and really get specific about what skills you developed and what values you picked up along the way. Sure. So, uh, Unless there's something else you want to reflect on during this time, I'm cool. No, no, no. I think I think that there's not. Yeah, you know, we reflected on as much as we could. I I, <laughs> I hadn't accomplished very much at that point. I just learned fancy restaurant makes good food, and fancy restaurant is full because fancy restaurant has good food. Okay. Yeah. So the um, next stop was uh, uh Tapas, right? Yeah, I mean, there was a couple stop, stops in between. Okay. Uh, I worked at a place called Michael's Bistro, which is just like this incredible restaurant that 
that is well loved, but it was sort of it was more of like a clubhouse type restaurant. There wasn't okay. there wasn't you, there wasn't a lot of organization. Yeah, I want to make sure we spend a lot of time yeah. uh, talking about what you got going on now yeah. and this the chemistry among the team you have now. Yeah, I just didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave Michael's Bistro. I didn't want anybody <laughs> calling me and being like, "Oh, you forgot about the six years of Michael's Bistro." <laughs> but no, so so I went to this place called Moss, and Moss was at that time the hot restaurant in Charlottesville. Okay. This is when like what uh, years in now? Two thousand and seven. Oh yeah. gosh, that's why we have you to said, do that. Uh, you got started around 2000, 2000, and then you spent six years. At- I was probably 24, so that would have been 2003 or 2004. Okay. So I probably spent four years at, at, at Michael Beast Run on six. Okay. Um, but so I left and I went to, to Moss, and I got into Moss, and you know, I'd heard that this place was amazing. It was way, it was way out of, I wasn't cool enough to go there. I d- didn't make very much money. Yeah. Um, I think I'd been there once before and didn't pay enough attention when I was there to really appreciate it. And my buddy had worked there and he went to jail. And when he got out of jail, he was like, hey man, he won't hire me back. He needs a cook and he's paying really well. And I was like, get me that job. So he got me that job. And I walked in there and the first thing you smelled was burning wood. And I never smelled that going into a restaurant before. Mm. And then I remember the first night that I worked, the owner, who's the chef and he was like online uh, at the time uh, and was online pretty often. Uh, he made me foie gras three dif- different ways all throughout the night. He's just feeding me food. Mm. He's like, I'm like shadowing this him. The first night you're there. Yeah. First night I'm there. Oh, the man. chef is online with me. Uh, he's this, like this larger than life character. Uh, he, he is so passionate about food. Um, and he is, and he's in this restaurant is packed. It's packed and everybody's talking about it. And he's just, every time he makes something, he makes a little extra and he has me try it. Every time I'm tasting it, I'm like, oh, so good. It's so perfect. And uh, it was it was a tapas restaurant. It was a Spanish restaurant. Um, and at the time, you know, Spanish cuisine was like hot and in. Like everything he was doing was right. Yeah. Everything he was doing was right. He cooked me foie gras like three different ways that night. I don't think I'd ever had foie gras at that point. And we had it at OXO, but there was no way that that dude was letting me have a taste of, of any of the foie gras. Um, and I just remember being like, man, this guy is cooking like the best food. And I, I worked there for a couple of years and the whole entire time I was there, there wasn't three or four days that went by where I didn't learn a new technique. I didn't see a new ingredient. Yeah. Let's I, dive into the, 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 the significance of this. It sounds like from the very beginning, he's a teacher. He, from the day you walked in, he's teaching, he's letting you experience, yeah. really dive into this, why that's so important. And by the way, I don't think we've said his full name yet. This is Chef Tomas Rahal. Yeah. Yeah. And he's coming on the show on Friday. So I'm really Oh, good. He's our across the street neighbor yeah, now. I'm, I'm pumped that you're, you're painting the picture for my yeah. listeners. Well, that works out well. Yeah. So really dive What's into- What's up, Tomas? <laughs> really dive into uh, like why uh, all these things that he's doing has, is so impactful, is so important within the industry. Well, so- so th- that whole mentality of the ingredients make the food. Now here's the other. Here's another big difference, and that really shaped me as a chef. When I was working for the French guy, and again, th- this guy was badass. It was it was haute cuisine, which is like there's a, a lot of 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 technique and a lot a lot going on on one plate. You know what I mean? Like three saute pans per per plate. You know, and I love that. And a lot of people, I, I still love that. You know. Um, And it didn't necessarily inspire me to the depth of when I was working with Tomas, it would be like two ingredients on a plate. And sometimes to the point where people didn't get it, they'd be like, what, like, like what, like a dish could be, a dish could be fiddlehead ferns, right? 
like foraged fiddlehead ferns. Nobody was foraging back then. This is before Noma was yeah. like really popular or anything like that. I mean, people were foraging, but it wasn't the, the thing. Yeah. It wasn't like the thing yet. Uh, like fiddlehead ferns, which by the way, I had never seen before. I didn't even know what they were. Uh, some, some Amaniato sherry, some beautiful uh, butter from Vermont creamery, and then some uh, fleur de sal. And that would be it on the plate. That would be absolutely it. And you put it in front of people and they'd be like, well, you just put some weeds with some muddy water <laughs> on the plate. But man, you took one bite of it and you would be, it, you would, it was just, you would never had anything yeah. like that before. So you're talking a lot about the, the level of cooking that he brought you to, which kind of brought your professionalism to a certain point, your, your, your skill level to a certain point. But who was he? How did who Tomas is chef Moss? How did he, he that that character that that presence that those values what did you pick up about from him how to be so tomas put every everything that tomas everything that the restaurant produced like say like a restaurants produce a lot of things right they produce uh people like like employees they produce the products that you serve they produce the food they, they produce an atmosphere they produce profits. Mm -hmm. Every bit of that, everything that he, the, 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 that restaurant would produce, he would find some way to redirect back towards the customers. Right. So explain that. I don't know if I quite understand. Get so, so the restaurant, the, so the restaurant does really well financially, right? Yep. He would make sure to, to rather than take all that money and, and pocket it, pocket it or whatever, you know, he would take it and buy these really, really expensive ingredients and, and not care about running like a super high cost on them. Okay. You know, so that he could make sure it was really about sharing his love of food with his customers, you know? Mm. And like when he was training people, he wasn't training when he was training us as cooks, he wasn't training us just how to technically make the food sound. He was training us how to, to cook with soul so that we could then take that, that part of ourselves and present it on the plate. Uh, he, he would constantly be telling me why that, is that level of caring that level of impact why does that work versus the, I mean the bottom looking at the bottom line you know people talk too, about pe people talk about like cooking with soul right I yeah. was talking to somebody about it the other day and you, you there's like there's like people who are like very technically sound and their food's really good and, but then sometimes you eat somebody's food and you're like man that's got soul like mm. you can taste that that guy's cooking really soulfully you can't explain that mm -hmm. I, I don't know how to explain that I think it's a level of, of caring a level of giving an F yeah uh, and that you just can't replicate it's either there or it's not there and it's that level of uh it's that it's hospitality it's it's being warm generous and expressing that gener generosity through your food yeah um any other big lessons on how to be from this person uh, i mean the, i i feel like i feel like i've given some pretty good Those pretty are, good examples of i just of, want to cut you short no 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 yeah i uh, you know i i just remember to go back to what we were talking about for like soulful food or like how that translates or how he could take producing people in the restaurant and giving that back to the customers yeah, yeah. uh producing me as like a, a cook uh i remember i was putting something up and he wasn't totally happy with it and i thought that it was you know say 95 percent yeah perfect which is pretty good for you know nothing can be absolutely perfect and he said something it wasn't that it wasn't that profound but he said something to the effect of we're not just heating up food to feed people. We're heating up food to like nourish people's bodies. This isn't just food to fill up their bellies. This mm. is going to like, you know, give them vitamins and, and you know, it nourishes people. And yeah. it, it makes sense. Like what, like if like do it as best as you can, if you're going to get really high quality yeah. ingredients and you're going to spend the time sourcing them or get them from farms that spent time growing them, 
like just treat them with, treat the ingredient with respect yeah. and know that that ingredient isn't just like so if you go to like the like heart like heartless faceless like corporate entities you know like all that they want to do is that's why there's so much like sugar and salt in them right because it makes you feel like it throws like all these endorphins into your brain and it makes you feel like really really full mm -hmm. right like that wasn't his interest at all yeah. his interest was like making something beautiful that would nourish somebody's body and you you went on to say that it's not just nourishing their body it's nourishing their soul and all this other stuff but it's also a nourishing their emotions it's creating that experience of yeah. the, the little details that this thing looks flawless the way it looks on the plate just the little final the finest little things will yeah. make that experience i think i think special. that when he when he was at his most passionate about that restaurant it was all about um creating something beautiful so that he could share it with people mm. Man, this is good stuff. I just realized that we still have to talk about opening four restaurants with the Virginia Restaurant Company and yeah. coming on board with uh, in 2014. That was a huge. That was a huge year. learning learning so, experience. Yeah, let's. Why did you Why did you leave uh, Tapas, uh, Mas Tapas? Well, the the opportunity presented itself to to open up a restaurant. You know, like a restaurant that I would write the menu for. That I would. Uh, that I would be managing, that I would do all the hot, like it was time to grow. It was, yeah, it was my, you know, it was my time to step up to the plate. So and, what was it about this group that appealed to you? Well, so I, I, I'd become buddies with the owner. It's okay. always, uh, always yeah. a, a good thing to, to be friends with the owner. He's a great guy. I thought that he was, I still do think he's brilliant. Um, it, it was the opportunity to take the next step in my career. I thought that I was ready. So what time, what year was this when you, when you left? Uh, this would have been when I was about 26. It was about two years later. Two years later. So like 2000. 2005, 2006. Five? Okay. So you spent a good amount of time with this restaurant group. Mm -hmm. I did, yeah. So what were the big lessons you took from opening all these restaurants? Oh, my God. There's a, a, the list could go on and on. Um, one thing that I learned for sure was to be patient when you're opening restaurants. You're not going to open the doors and have everything be right from day one. The first restaurant, I certainly learned that. I, I had to learn that less and less and less as we opened restaurants. Uh, so you're not going to have everything right when you open. You're probably not going to have day. anything right. So what mentality should you have going into that? What, what does that picture look like? Where do you start? Your mentality has got to be, I'm opening this restaurant. I'm going to do everything I can to make it everything that I want it to be. And if it doesn't turn out to be that exact thing that I pictured in my mind, that's okay. Okay. Uh, of course, you don't want it to be a total dumpster fire. But, <laughs> yeah. But it's never going to go as you... Nobody nobody like starts daydreaming about the restaurant they're about to open. And it's like... like Nailed there's it. a yeah, yeah there's a line out the door and then and then the water main burst and then the dishwasher never nobody thinks about that they're just yeah. like people are gonna love my food service is gonna go awesome yeah. it's not it's not the way it's gonna go okay like you you don't think that it's gonna open up the way exactly the way you intended it there's there's gonna be you know life life gets in the way of that yeah so um so half of, a lot of this is just having the right mindset to know that like hey you have this vision of what you want it to be but don't think it's the end of the world when yeah it's and not also that. don't mistake small failures for total failure okay what should you do with those small failures you should learn from those failures 100 i think that anybody it sounds like a really cliche sort of uh uh response to that question but you, you have to take them as learning experiences, you know, like, like, uh, give me an example of a, a small failure that has had a profound impact on who you are today. Uh, I mean, it, it could be something as very simple as not prepping enough. Like the, I remember the first, this was in a university area and the, the football team 
at the time had a huge draw. I mean, I think it still has a pretty big draw, but it was a huge, huge draw back then. Mm -hmm. I remember being like, uh, they're like, and it was a big restaurant. And they were like, all right, it's a football game. It's going to be different than normal service. You know, we're going to be selling a lot of like, you know, sandwiches and like lunch, lunch style items, not really entrees and yeah. stuff like that. And I, in my head, I'm like, no, they're going to see, they're going to read the menu and they're going to think the entrees are like beautiful and they're going to want those. And there was like a fried chicken sandwich on the menu. You had to have something like that because it was yeah. a university area. And, and I, I, they were like, so I ordered like the only thing the chicken came on or something like that. And so I ordered the chicken for it. I was ordering from like a, 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 a like Cisco or something like that. It okay. wasn't from like a farm. Yep. Uh, and I was like, how many, how many chicken breasts are in a case? And they were like, there's 24 chicken breasts in the case. And I was like, I'll take two of those. There's no way that anybody in the history of restaurants has ever sold more than 40, <laughs> 48 chicken breasts in a service. But it was like 20 minutes into service and people were like running to every grocery store they could ever get, oh you know, it's, you know, it's, it, it's tough. The, I, I guess the lesson that I learned was don't underestimate orders i don't know it's, maybe it's not that good of a, a point but it was definitely a lesson learned like like don't think that like don't think your food's so great that you're gonna break natural human behavior when yeah to college kids like yeah, they're gonna go for the sure thing right uh yeah. the young people maybe aren't as adventurous so sure staffing staffing was something i certainly yeah. learned how many people it takes to run a kitchen you think that that you can do everything all by yourself and you just can't so dive into that real quick not being able to so you think you can run a kitchen by yourself so you were you understaffed a few times early on oh yeah quite a bit i mean i really did think that well number one i thought that nobody else was going to do the job as well as i was going to do it i think it's pretty natural for for okay so where do you stand now on that thought i stand now that that you're only as good as your employees mm. i think that was a very naive way for me to think back then and i think i paid the price for it i think i still have injuries so what do you mean you're only as good as your employees get into specifically what you, you mean can't you can't just go around thinking like like okay i don't want like if i could have like five clones of myself implicating the menu that i write you know what i mean i might you know that would be awesome because then i wouldn't have to explain anything to anybody but don't don't think that that because your employees aren't the exact same as you that they're that they're there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Just make sure that they're good people and that they're doing a good job. And honestly, know? they might have they might not be an exact clone of you, but maybe that there's certain aspects of who yeah, they, they are might be able to teach me something better than you. Right? Absolutely. So and they do teach me stuff all the time, just constantly. I mean, we have the crew here; they teach me stuff every day. Okay. You know. So any other big lessons uh, opening these four restaurants, any aha moments, anything that any specific skills or uh, habits or uh, values you picked up along the way before uh, running into your boy, Lauren, which uh, Chef Lauren, who you met at Tomas, right? That I right. met at Moss. Tomas, Tomas. Yeah. Um, no, it was, it was a lot of a lot of um, administrative things are pretty boring to talk about over the radio but learning how to how to um uh no it's boring but it's also it's also it's necessary it's, it's, necessary. it's necessary and, that's and I, I i actually don't think it's that boring i think it's i think it's pretty exciting so give me one nugget uh an administrative nugget that you picked up along the way that you think most restaurants don't do this or a thing that you do that goes beyond what the the average restaurant does that you can drop on us I think having having a real grasp of what your costs of goods sold is is very important. I think most people, I think most people, uh, will get ingredients and they'll come up with a dish 
and they'll be like, well, this cost about this, this cost about this, this cost about this. Yeah. I'll multiply that by three, and then that's what I'll charge. And usually they're fine with that, you know? And that's fine if you have one unit. Um, but if you want to expand, you want to have multiple units, and you need to know that you can remotely keep track of costs, you really need to have something set, a spreadsheet, uh, something like that, that you can you can access remotely. And and numbers are numbers. They, they don't lie. You, yeah. you, you can call your chef all day long and be like, our costs. And they're like, well, costs give, me, are great. give me a specific detail that most people miss with cost of goods sold. The thing that they don't calculate for, a thing that's not considered that should be. Well, considered. I know something that, that almost anybody that I've ever seen their, their cost of goods sold doesn't um, account for, and that's uh, waste in prep. Mm. They'll, they'll count that they got say a pound of, of garlic in and they don't take into account that you've got to extract and, yeah, the, yeah. the, the bulb from the garlic or, or even like, like, like meat butchery can get way out of control. Yeah, you yeah. know, we're getting ready to, yeah. And we're getting ready to have this steakhouse that's doing whole animal butchery. Those bones weigh some, yeah. yeah and bones got to be dense to so hold up the, that big old what's cow. What's the process for that? You, would you weigh the, the waste before throwing it out to, to calculate for that? Or well, so you, we get, we get, we get a, a full weight of the animal when it comes in. Right. Okay. And then you'll get, You'll you'll get whatever your yield is off of that animal, and then you just subtract that from the full weight. Okay, gotcha. Um, but so if, and these are only like like hypothetical numbers, but say you got a cow in for you know twenty dollars a pound, right? And then you think that all you have to do is charge according to that twenty dollars a pound no. that you bought for. You would go out of business quite quickly. Yep. You know. Yep. And there's a we got I had a episode with uh, David Scott Peters. If you just do Google search restaurant unstoppable David Scott Peters, I think it's a four hundred and five or some somewhere in that range where he breaks it down. He goes for like an hour long with like every little detail that you need to consider. So if you want to learn more about that, check out that episode. I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, all right. So anything else you want to touch on here before we kind of move on to this opportunity uh, that, you know, moving on to how we grew Lampo pizza. I think everybody's tired of hearing about me. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So how did this opportunity come to you? Take me to this, this area where, you know, you, you now have this new great opportunity in front of you for a Lampo. Yeah. Okay. So we have this, we have this team at Tavola. Yeah. We're all doing really well. We're all really enjoying ourselves. We, we want, we want to expand. Were you working at Tavola at this time? You weren't working at Tableau, were you? When me, Lauren. Yeah, I thought you uh, didn't. I thought you started working. Lauren approached you. Uh, you you left uh, the the VRC. Yeah, and then you joined. Was there a time in between that I missed? I mean, there might have been. We're still recording right now. Like, I don't yeah. mind. I'm just trying to make sure we're getting the details. So. Um, no. So 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 I worked. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't know where we're lost. I worked with with Lauren at. Moss. Yeah. And then you left for VRC. For the VRC. And then you went back. to. Oh yeah. So there was, there was uh, a short period of time where I, I went and like staged around. Okay. Uh, and then, and then I opened up my last restaurant with the VRC. Okay. And when I, when I left that restaurant, that's when, when Lauren approached me. And why me. did you leave that restaurant? It was just done. The restaurant was open. It was time to move, move on. I, I had, I had come back to the VRC to open up the restaurant with them. And, uh, the, it was, it was to open up that restaurant. It wasn't to, to, and to re rejoin that gotcha. team it was to and then uh how did you cross paths with lauren well so i was thinking about opening up my own restaurant 
I mean, that's part of the reason that I went like was was fine with opening up a restaurant with the VRC again yeah. and then doing some stages here and there, yeah. and trying I to should, figure out wh- where I, I was going to go. I should step in and kind of remind the, the listeners that Lauren is one of the five partners of Lampo here in Charlottesville, VA. He was, yeah. uh, Ian described him as being kind of the guy who brought the team together. Would yeah, Lauren's a man. Yeah? Yeah, Lauren's a man. So he's also come, hopefully going to be coming on the show while I'm, I'm here. I hope we can make it happen. Yeah. Uh, but okay, so bring it back from there. So Lauren, so Lauren calls me and he's like, I heard that, I heard that uh, you 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 finished opening the restaurant and that that it's that you're that you're available. just available. Yeah. And I was like, and like I said, I was like, didn't really have any place that I wanted to be necessarily. I knew that I wanted to open my own restaurant. I've been saving up my money, um, and I was like, man, I loved working with Lauren at Moss. Like, I'll go work with Lauren again. He's my, you know, that's my boy. Yeah. And I got there and, and we're, you know, we're working great together. We were working with this guy, Matt Beauvais. He was awesome. Like one of the best line cooks I've ever worked with. So when he, and also a really great chef. I don't want to so just say So when he approached you cook. to say, come work with us at this point, was he still at Tavola or was he? Open yeah, this is at Tavola. Okay, this is at Tavola. Gotcha. Um, and then I, you guys all met. Yeah. And then I, and then I met Andrew and I was like, man, this guy's really young to know. Like, cause Andrew was working there too. Yeah. He's really young to know as much as he knows about wine. And when he talks to people, he's got this special talent of like knowing what glass they want to be in. You know, he'll just talk to him for like five minutes and then he'll hand him a glass and they'll be like, this is the most perfect glass of wine I've ever tasted. Mm. Uh, and then that went on for like a year and a half and it was just going really well. The restaurant was doing really well. Uh, Shelly came on. I knew Shelly from a friend of mine that I was in a band with. Uh, and I, and I, I knew that she, and you know, people around town knew her, that she was yep. like the, the talent, you know? Yep. And again, Shelly is another one of the partners. Here yeah. She's one of the partners. Lampo. So we got Shelly on and things started going really well with that. And then, and then we all started getting brunch at this, this restaurant, Latois, and there was this young kid in town and nobody really knew who he was or like where he came from. Just came Ian in Redshaw. like a, yeah, Ian Redshaw <laughs> came in like a, like a comet just shot into town, like, like a like a big bright shining star and he's doing all this this like like crazy molecular i don't know what the the proper term for that is but he's he's doing some pretty avant-garde stuff um and we're like we're like this kid's this kid's crazy we should get him on our team you know like the beautiful thing about ian is like like nothing's impossible like he like when it comes to food like if you tell him that it's not possible to be done, that's all he cares about is doing it, you know? Yeah, that's a huge lesson right there. Something that comes up often on the show is that I think the the word for it is just optimism, right? Like, you tell me you can't be done, like, I'm optimistic enough so to sometimes anything he, can be done. Sometimes he's <laughs> yeah. like, he's like, try this dish. I'm like, what is it? And he tells me what it is. I'm like, I don't want to try that. And he's like, try it. And I take a bite of it. And I'm like, you're, you're, this is so good. Like, I yeah. can't believe that you made that work. <laughs> but just the, the, when you, when you stay optimistic and you, and you say to yourself, it can be done. You, yeah. Your mind turns on parts of, of the, the mind that just, I think we immediately just aren't usually just get dormant when you say it's not possible because yeah. you just shut that part down. I think we immediately uh, saw that in the end. We were yeah. like, we got to get this kid on the team. And then we got Ian on the team and, and we just all worked so well together. So really, I, I want to spend some time here. I want to nestle into this, this time of your life where this team is coming together. Cause at this point you had a pretty decent amount of experience over like eight or 10 restaurants that you've worked at in, yeah. your, in your time. What was special about these four other characters these people? What was, what was this camaraderie? Like what was, what were these relationships? I mean, like? how did you feel? How was this different from any other experience? I think, I think we all loved each other, man. We were like, we were like real true, like friends, yeah. you know? 
and 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 we trusted each other. I think that's that's huge. How what 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 was it that made this trust form? Because these people don't have a bad bone in their body. Hmm. These people, and it's not just because because we're business partners and we can all gain something off of each other. These are just genuinely good people. I mean, it's a small town. I don't want to sound cliche again, but like just, just some good old boys, man, and a good old girl. Yeah. I'm just, like I said, this is my. Th- I was talking to Ian earlier today. I was like, this is my third time in Charlottesville in a year. And yeah. I just keep on coming back. And there, there's some talent in this town for sure. And the, and especially, you know, the, the talent is great, but it's the people of Charlottesville. They mm-hmm. want that good, good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll support that good, good, you know? Yeah. And, and, and we all just clicked so well. And it seemed like everything that we did was always successful, mm. you know? So why wouldn't you try to parlay that success into something bigger for yourself. So break it down for me at this time when you're at uh, Tabula, uh, what was going on as far as, uh, I mean, Shelly was front of house, uh, Andrew was sommelier, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, you were on the line or chef or, mm-hmm. and uh, Ian was. So so Lauren Lauren was the uh, chef de cuisine, executive chef okay. of that restaurant. Um, and then uh, I worked Saute and before that I worked the Garmage station. Okay. Highly overqualified for people used to call me bread boy. It used to make me so mad. <laughs> They'd be like, Bread boy, can I have some more bread and olive oil? And I'd be like, I'm a bread man. <laughs> uh and then so it was like I got moved over. I was actually I was actually thinking about leaving because I was like, I can't be bread boy for much longer. Yeah. And then the the guy Matt, the other sh- the the sous chef. Uh, he got a really good opportunity somewhere else, and it, and he was like, "I'm leaving," and I was like, "Well, I guess I'm staying then." Yeah. You know? Um, and then we got Ian on, and then Ian luckily was willing to take the same way I was was willing to take that that position that he was highly overqualified for. But at that point, I think we knew that we were building a team. I don't think we weren't plotting, we weren't like planning, we weren't like let's get a team together. And yeah. Then, and then we'll all just jump ship. So when know? did that that conversation happen? That conversation happened when the space that we're sitting in right now became available. Okay. We were all prepping. So we, I mean, we we ran that that restaurant with a really tight ship. It was a small restaurant, but it was a really tight ship. I mean, I would come in at eight o'clock in the morning and do pastries because there was nobody else in the kitchen. Yep. And, and, you know, they would say I wasn't getting in their way. I would say they weren't getting in my way, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then about about 10 or 11 o'clock, like 11 o'clock, maybe noon, the prep the 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 crew would come into prep for dinner service, which would be the crew that would cook dinner service. There was no prep cooks or anything like that. Um, and then we'd work through that, and then service would end at ten, and then you usually get done cleaning up about eleven. So you know, like me on some days, I'd be there from eight in the morning till eleven o'clock at night. You know. Okay. Um. And so we're, we we were just we we were there all day by ourselves, with nobody else in there, uh, and somebody came up while we were all working our asses off you know, in the middle of the week, long week. And they go, Hey, that space, the farm is closing down. They're having a sale. They're liquidating all their wine. Hmm. And, and what they were doing was trying to hook us up with a way to go buy cheap wine for ourselves, not to sell in the restaurant. That's illegal. Yeah. Um, but what we heard was, oh, that space that the farm in is in is available. And at this point, you guys never had to talk about let's go into business together, or was it kind of like, oh, like vision? I don't know. We, I think a lot of cooks have that talk. They're yeah. like, they're yeah. like, if we, if this was our restaurant, we'd do it this way, or like, you know, if one day we'll open up this restaurant. But we all, we all, we all had been going to pizza restaurants in yeah. D.C. You know, like I said, we, we were all genuine friends. We'd hang yeah. out on, on our days off, um, and we would go to uh, this place, Two Amy's, and this place, Minamale. Uh, those are the main places that we would go in DC and we'd always say that Charlottesville really needs one of those. Uh, 
And then when this place opened up, we were like, dude, we sh this is the perfect size yeah. for one of those little Neapolitan pizzerias. We can put the oven right here. And that's where the oven is now. Yeah. It was, it was. You got to take the roof off first. Yeah. Yeah. We had to take the roof off. <laughs> it was, oh, it was like one of the worst. <laughs> I got so sick that day. I was so nervous. Um, but yeah, we, we had to take the roof off and crane it in. But but it was really we didn't start talking about j like leaving that place and and coming together and actually opening the restaurant until the space presented itself and it was it was a no brainer for us. A, a Neapolitan Pizzeria had to go in here. So when this team's coming together, you got three back of house, two front of house, essentially. No, we have, yeah, three back house, yeah, two, two front, front of house. house. Yeah. How did you guys decide what lane to get into? How did you guys decide who was responsible for what? Well, so so Lauren is a, is a is a natural leader. Okay. He's very comfortable in that that role. He's very good at it. Um, when you say good at it, what do you mean? A leading, but specifically in what way? Well, I would say that Lauren inspires uh, people. He he can inspire people into taking chances on things because he's a part of it. You know, mm. he can. Why you, is being a part of it? Why does that matter? Because if he because if if he's if he's invested in it, then you know that you that you have a good partner and you know you have somebody that'll that'll be there. It's not like the whole way through. He's not going to half-ass anything. He's always going to give it 110%. When that guy gets focused on something, and, and I'm not even just talking about restaurants. That guy could get, he got focused on that Pokemon Go game that was on everybody's <laughs> cell phone one time, and that's all he did for like four months. For a while there, I was like, I don't, Lauren's not my friend until he stops playing. <laughs> I'm not going to talk to Lauren until he stops playing that stupid game. Like he can just get, he get, but, but the same thing happens though. Like he gets focused on, uh, he got focused on, on like the the build out like here and he's really focused on the build out at prime 109 he's really good at that stuff mm -hmm. uh, and it's because he's so focused he will get up in the morning and just have tunnel vision yeah. on on completing the tasks that need to be completed and so, he's he's just he's just a, a good guy to lean on i'm going to be talking to potentially lauren potentially shelly maybe even andrew who knows uh i want to know um what your role in this when when you guys saw this opportunity when you when uh you got in your lane what was going on how did you contribute to making this this thing happen well so my i'm i'm certainly comfortable like we have an open kitchen and i'm certainly comfortable being exposed in that way um but when it comes to so i guess the best way to explain it is that like chefs and restaurateurs and have a, a celebrity that is like like that comes with it yeah and i don't like that I, I like to be really private at home and stuff like that. So I tend to try and, and focus more on like the back office stuff. Um, uh, trying to keep track of the numbers. Um, I definitely, I definitely cook quite a bit and I love cooking and that is my passion. Um, I really, so we, so we didn't really have anybody to do pastries at Tavel and that's why I fell into it. And I very quickly became passionate about that. Okay. Um, there's a, so remember I said that Ian, like anything's possible and he's like very, um, I don't know. He's very, uh, unstoppable. He's un <laughs> unstoppable. Creative. Uh, yeah. He's creative. Yeah. And he just, he, like, for me, I really like the scientific part of it. I like weighing out my ingredients and doing things exact yeah. and pastry really allows me to do that. I like control. 
That's why I like numbers too. You know yeah. what I mean? I really like the control of it. So there's kind of like a yin and yang going on between you and Ian. Where oh, one hundred percent. So where he's like, "Let's do this." And you're like, "Let me reel you back in and show you the reality." Oh, of and and also sometimes I get a little too stiff, and Ian's like, "Let me inject a little bit of color into this." Yeah. You know? Okay. So there's like that's that's a good point. Like you're not just uh, there's diff, there's multiple lanes within the back of house that need to be addressed because there's oh, so many skill sets. The, the the numbers, the the costing, the mm-hmm. This is what we can And do, that also being said, this- Lauren is also an exceptional chef. It's not just me and Ian doing the cooking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it kind of sounds like Lauren, what, because hmm, he, he's kind of serving like the, the GM where he's going and working on the next projects mm-hmm. and you guys are staying at home. Uh, work. How does that work? Maybe not. I don't want to make assumptions because it's hard for me to paint the picture. Well, so Lauren is really good at working with people. He's really good at organizing large groups of people. Okay. Um, I think as an administrator, yeah. uh, he, he does a really good job with that. He's, like I said, that focus and that drive that he has yeah. to, 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 to fix, to do, to like, to like solve puzzles. So here's why I'm really interested in you guys, because you have three chefs in the back of house and there's no, and we're not fighting constantly over who's no, the best chef. Exactly. And there's no sense of, dude, cause those guys are dope ass chefs. Who needs to be the best when, so when you're surrounded by this town the culture in this place that everybody just, it's an unspoken, like we're not fighting against each other. Like we're here. Well, we're all doing pretty well, right? Yeah. Because of the decision and because, you know, so, so. So when we first started putting together like our um, uh, partnership agreements, right? Yeah. You have to when you when you start a partnership, yeah. you have to um, well, you should uh, have a legal document that's your that's your partnership agreement. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of things in there that we put specifically to uh, for conflict mediation, you know, such as um, certain decisions had to be solved by a supermajority. So like say if you're but, but you have to look at it like that way. Like if you're really passionate about something, right? And four people that you trust are telling you that is a bad idea. You got to be like, seriously, four other people are telling me that I'm wrong. Yeah. You know, maybe I, I no, I probably am wrong. Yeah. You know, and there's, also and we've like, had to do that. And and that's not, that is very hard to do. Having, having partnerships is, is very difficult. Yeah. Th- that's really kind of what I want to spend a lot of this time talking about is like, what can we do to protect ourselves? And, and a lot of people say partnerships like never get into them, but I'm on the, the side of like, if you really want to be amazing, unless you're a freak of nature and you can do everything, then you need a partnership to compete in today's market because you need to focus on your lane. Yeah. Um, so what things can we do? You're talking about this partnership agreement. What things that should we be considering that most people don't consider in a partnership agreement? Did I cut you short? Were you trying to make no, that No, 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 you didn't. You didn't. I, that, that, that question is just so hard to answer. It's like... I can't tell other people what they're going to do in their partnership because they might be, they might just be two people and their partner's a dick, but yeah. they have all the money. Yeah. You know what I mean? They That's a total into that partnership. Right. But they don't know that. They don't know that until they're in that partnership and that, and that dick with all the money is being an <laughs> asshole and like, <laughs> yeah. like telling them they have to put chicken nuggets on the menu. You know so what I mean? There's a lesson right there. Uh, don't get into a partnership strictly because of the money. You yeah. I would have. say, I would say also when you're talking about the restaurant industry, yeah. one of the things, actually, this is probably a really good point. One of the things that makes this partnership work is, that all of us like worked in the restaurant industry. None of us came in as like an outside investor yeah. or someone who wanted to use the industry as a way to make money. We were all people who were who were highly successful in the industry. We're making a ton of money for other people. And we're just like, hey man, if we all band together, we don't have much because you know, restaurants restaurants aren't these super high paying jobs for all levels yeah. within the restaurant. So so for us, like to com- for our come ups, we either had to get an investor. Or we had to 
put together a little bit of money, money that we had. But with five people, you have that much more people. We still don't have very much. We still don't have very much money to open. Yeah. Uh, but you also didn't start with what you have now too. You started much smaller, right? Yeah. Much smaller. Uh, but the rest the rest of the build out was, was, you know, paid for by profits after opening. So how much did you, in your mind, when you guys were putting this together, how much did you think you needed to come up with? <laughs> so I won't tell you what we, I, I think it's inappropriate to tell you what we did, <laughs> what we did put into this restaurant. Okay. Um, but the number that we first came up with was absurd. So I'll say it. I think we, and I, I don't know if this is an exact number, but I think we thought we were going to open a restaurant for, with an oven that was built in Naples and shipped over <laughs> here. Uh, Oh, I think we thought we were going to be able to do it for about forty five thousand dollars. Forty five thousand dollars. We thought that's what we were going to be able to do. That's the oven alone, do. isn't it? <laughs> no, it's not quite the oven. Alone. <laughs> but but it, so it, it did cost quite a bit more than that. But we thought forty five thousand was like. Andrew's walking through right now. He's uh trying to be polite and quiet. He can say hi. Hello. It's all good. <laughs> we're good. Um, all right. So uh, where were we? Um, okay. We're talking about how stupid it is to try to open a restaurant for forty five thousand dollars. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> 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 yeah, so, but but you know the 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 whole reason that the the we were talking about why partnerships work. Yeah, why partnerships or how work. how good ways to make ensure that your partnership works. I think is what yeah. we were trying to get at. And I do think the fact that we had all like been in the trench, we'd all with each other too. And that's the other cool yeah. thing. You guys weren't in the trench in other places. Mm -hmm. You were in the trench together. We had all had to rely on each other before yeah. and we had all needed to, at some point or another, lift somebody up out of the mud. You know, like I'm like, there's been, there was, there was times when it would be like graduation weekend or something like that. And this is university town. So you get a huge influx of people and people who don't give a shit about your restaurant. Yep. You know what I mean? They'll just act like total pigs and, and you know, and, and destroy your place and be rude to the servers and stuff like that. And it's chaotic. And and not all of them do, by the way. All you people are coming in for graduations, please call us for your reservations. <laughs> uh, no, but the, but so then the, the servers get flustered and then they're unhappy and then service can, and then this, then the, the, the cooks end up becoming, you know, like annoyed with the service because the server, and it's, you know, it's infectious and stuff like that. And at some point in time during like the many graduations that we've all worked together, every single one of us has completely gone down in flames and it, and has relied on everybody else to lift them back up just to get through service. Mm -hmm. And once you've been through that type of a situation with people, it's hard not to have a special bond. Yeah, with them. I can explain. I, I can completely sympathize with that because not through the restaurant industry, but I was a commercial pilot before this and that experience that you're discussing. So you don't now, like that term down in flames going down in flames. Oh, it doesn't really bother me. Honestly, <laughs> I've, I've dropped that career and I've never looked back. But yeah. I going through ground school, when, you, when you're getting hired on an airline, uh, your first regional airline, it's like drinking water from a fire hose. You got so much time to learn an, an airplane inside and out. They're quizzing you. You're getting tested. This is your future. And everyone's just freaking out every day and there's an i'm still i'm staying with them right now You're still bonded the with people, people that i i went through ground school with i'm staying with in virginia while i'm on the road and i'm still really good friends with another one back home in new england like you you bond when you yeah, go through nothing that nothing like emotional trauma to bring people together Absolutely. so okay let's kind of try to move forward uh, one other thing that i'm i'm interested in is when you have five people um, who are at the top and you don't, you only have one restaurant. How, how did you guys have this conversation? You know, if there's five of us, we're not going to make as much money. And oh, we, we knew we weren't going to make, we, we knew that we were going to make less money. Okay. Yeah. But we knew we were going to make less money working for ourselves. And it, it was almost, we said it so much out loud to each other. Yeah. We said it so much out loud to each other that I think we were preparing ourselves for the shock when it actually happened. Yeah. 
I'd rather make less money and have earned every penny of it for myself than make more money and rely on somebody else to give it to me. Mm, I just marked that because I think it's going to be the opener to this episode. So why though? Really? Why? Why? Why have that mentality? What was why is this mentality of less money but more i guess uh, i don't know toxic masculinity i don't know if <laughs> i don't know i don't know if at the time it was actually a really good decision it turned out to, for the law you know you're playing the long game right yeah yeah you what do you mean you're playing the long game so you guys knew what was the thought process how did you guys justify it when we, we knew that the money wasn't going to be there right at first but we knew if we if we kept our our heads you know if we kept kept our our, our minds right we didn't let our heads blow up that the money would come eventually, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, do what you do because you love it, not for the money. Because if you love it, the money will come. Yeah, I absolutely. Think, I think everybody knows that little. And, uh, you know, when, when you do it with enough, there's so many little variables, so many things that contribute to uh, finding the right partners, uh, just know each having your own lane. You can make such a bigger impact when each of you are just focusing on a few things and doing it incredibly well. Um, so, man. We, where do we go next? There's so much potential stuff to talk about. Uh, we can talk about Prime 109. Yeah. So um, let's actually go there. So, I mean, I think we might get Lauren on the show. Maybe we can talk more. With I think him. I think you're going to get Lauren on the show. Yeah, so Lauren's a busy we can guy spend right some now. more time scaling into this business. Um, I'm going to have to make notes as to what I have talked about and what I haven't talked about. It's kind of hard to have five people. You can just listen to your own podcast <laughs> yeah, over, right? over and over again. Okay. Prime 109, talk us through that opportunity. Okay. So we talked about this a little earlier. Yeah, but we weren't recording, were we? Yeah, we weren't. I don't know. Were you? This is when you were during the walkthrough. <laughs> yeah, right? I don't know. You might you might have had you might have yeah, been secretly. you might have been mic'd up. <laughs> yeah, I didn't make you like lift your shirt before we walked through. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, so Lauren had like and I think I think a lot of us had the this the same thought, uh but but the story, a good story, um a good way to tell it as a story is like Lauren would go in there. It's, it was a beautiful grand bank. It was built, you know, a while ago and you go in there and it's such a big imposing space. It's beautiful. It's opulent. And you say, this needs to be like a, a fine dining restaurant or like, or, or Lauren said that he specifically would be like, this should be a steakhouse. You know, I remember walking in there and being like, this should be, well, I was working at OXO at the time. I remember being like, this should be like OXO. This should be like a fancy OXO, you know? Um, and, and, it, and it was Bank of America, though. So, like, that space was never going to become available. You know? Like, it was Bank of America. It's like the biggest bank in the world or something. Like, one of the biggest banks in America. That's why they named it after <laughs> the country. Um, but, so then we have, so then you fast forward, like, 15 years later, however long it was, and we have this little restaurant, this little pizzeria that we're running. And Ian is doing this dried steak program. And this is a tiny little restaurant with tiny little walk-ins. You have to imagine that for Ian to do this dry steak program, we had to give up quite a bit yeah. of real estate in there. Yeah. Especially to avoid cross-contamination and stuff. Like it needs yeah. like a barrier of space around it. So it's not touching anything. And we're selling so many steaks. It's crazy. And we're like, people are coming in and they're not even ordering pizza. <laughs> they're like just coming in and having a steak dinner, which is fine. Yeah. Want. But we're like, this steak program's outgrowing the Lampo, space, yeah. right? And then all of a sudden, Lauren, who banks at Bank of America, gets a, a note or a message on his app that says to all customers, we're, we're closing down that branch of the bank. You know, come get your stuff, essentially. Yeah. And so Lauren, you know, rewinds back to that memory of like 15 years ago. And he's like, yo, that bank's available. Uh, I think it's a good idea to put a steakhouse in there. Uh, Ian's doing amazing steaks. Uh, you know, it's just, it's very, at that point, it's like very organic. You, 
put them all together. And yeah. he and he he got the um he got the uh the owner of the building on the phone in another brazen act in people's lives. He said, "Can we put a steakhouse restaurant? We're this little restaurant, you know. Yeah. Can we get some investors together and put a steakhouse in there?" And you know, expecting the guy to be like, "No, it's a bank." You know what I mean? And a couple months went by and he called back and he was like, "Sure, put a steakhouse in there." Uh, but the, the the lesson I think from this is uh, put it out there. Put you it know, out there, man. Put, put yourself out there. there. What are they going to say now? No, exactly. But yeah. if you never took the chance and put it out there, then it wouldn't be happening. Yeah. Um, and now here's the other cool thing about having, like I went through this space. This is not a little ordeal. This is not a hole in the wall steakhouse. This is a massive project. Yeah. It's a big project. And what I've learned is when you're taking on, big projects like this you're only you need a team of people but here the oh, thing yeah. is now you've been working side by side as partners for four years and you've known each other for even longer and you sacrifice for those four years taking less so you could be somebody who would be in the position to take on an opportunity like this mm -hmm. and you drew all this attention onto yourself you guys crushed it mm -hmm. uh you know getting tons of notoriety getting the respect you need and now people are looking at you and saying you know uh, Lampo is awesome. Yeah. They're crushing it. They have a team of people already in place. You've created this opportunity for yourself that wouldn't have otherwise been there if you never took the chance and just took and sacrificed initially. So now you're in this position for this incredible opportunity. Yeah, I think that the, the that Lampo is a good name and and it's 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 standing in the community is is yeah. a lot of what made it happen. I think that that, that the guy who in the building was like, well, you know, those guys turned that that shithole building that the farm was in into Lambo. <laughs> like like maybe they can turn this into a steak like like maybe i'll trust them to do it yeah but the, i think the lesson there is to just start where you can yeah uh work hard so many lessons in this start work hard well, the way the way sacrifice. that we approach this place and the the what the way we worked in this place and how hard we worked to get this place open it, it might as well have been that that you know seven thousand eight thousand square yeah. foot bank steakhouse like temple of opulence we put our blood sweat and tears into it the same way because this is what we were this is this is what was within our reach at the time and we took the opportunity and because we worked that same amount that that's with that same intensity that intensity showed to other people and that's why they gave us the opportunity to open yeah but that but now let's play like uh just hypothetically uh let's say any one of you you lauren andrew shelly uh I'm missing somebody, uh, Ian, um, <laughs> uh, either one of you, you guys left and came to this space and did this by yourself. And now you had the same thought process. Oh, like we're doing great steak and there's this opportunity down the street and I'm one person. I can't do that. Like I'm so consumed oh, yeah. by this, but by, by taking, by sacrificing and, and having this team, now you guys are dividing 100, them, right? 100%. Yeah. Cause it doesn't take four, three chefs and two front of house managers to run this small space. No. So now you're dividing that attention and you're, and you're now able to take on new projects. 100%. You would have never been able to do that 100%. before. I'm picking up what you're putting down now. Yeah. yeah 100%. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it, there was a little bit of twiddling our thumbs once this place yeah. sort of started running itself, you know? Uh, so there's a lot of cool stuff. This is, I don't. I find this partnership fascinating. I'm really interested to get the other stories and see if there's any overlay or new uh, information that's brought to the service. It's and a crazy story, you know. Hopefully, when, my listeners don't get sick of you guys, but I don't think they will because you guys rock. Uh, anything else you want to talk about up to this point? Anything that we haven't touched on that you were hoping we would touch on? Uh, any way to drop another nugget on us before moving to the speed round? No, I would just say that you know. Don't be afraid of partnerships. Just make sure that that you pick you pick people that that live up to the same 
ethics and standards and values that, that you live up to. Yeah. Make sure that you surround yourself with quality people in general. Yeah, there's not a problem with partnerships. There's problems with people in partnerships. Well, pe like, well, pe pe <laughs> like pe people have a, a ability to be terrible. Yeah. You and know? So just find yourself some good ones. Yeah. That, you know? yeah. Um, all right. This has been great. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Here's a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, a fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this doesn't include losses in costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investors related to claims of harassment and discrimination. And I bet you didn't know that employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors or company representatives because they fear retaliation. With RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help you protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Again, that's restaurantethics.com. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Mitchell, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I, I think that the, the trait that most contributes to my success is a genuine passion for the industry. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of people say that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people mean it too. Like, what is passion? I would do this and did do it uh, when I wasn't really making any money for it. So what you were know? you doing it for? I, I loved it. I just, I, I would think about, about it all the time. <laughs> I would, I, I love building things. I love, I love like building things that are tangible, you know, that you can hold. And it, when it comes to food, you can also do it in a, a way that can be striking if you want to, or it can be really rustic if you want to. I don't know. It's just a really great way to, ex to express, to express the way that you feel about a certain ingredient or a certain season or a certain setting or cool. even a certain plate, you know, yeah. I don't, that, that word passion comes up too often. So whenever, it yeah, I, I, I feel I bad using to, that no, as my, I don't feel bad. I, I'm just going to level. I'm just trying to pull back layers. I just don't know how, I just don't know how to say how much, I just don't know how to put into words how much I love like, like building things with food and building and how, and how restaurants operate and, just the whole thing about restaurants. Building relationships. Building yeah, the, the, the staff. The, possibility, opportunity. There's so much you can build. Yeah, and I, it's hard to say that without be, without sounding like a dick or, you know what I mean? <laughs> so you just got to go with, I'm, 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 I, just, there's, I just can't do anything else. I can't not do this. Yeah, you know? man. Uh, what is one, oh, I missed one. Man, I'm like on a roll today. What is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness is reading other people's reaction to what I'm putting out there. Uh, yeah, empathy. Ex please explain. Yeah, maybe it's empathy. So, um, biggest. The, so, so picking like up on other people's social cues. So, like the way, like, like, so if I'm like online, right? I'm not, I'm not online the way that I used to be. So I don't have the same bond with, with like the the cook standing next to me as I did when I was younger, and I, that's the only place that I stood. Yeah. You know, and sometimes like you know you'll think that you're joking with somebody or you'll think that, 
that you're even maybe even uh, putting somebody up on a pedestal by, you know, roughhousing with them or something yeah. like that. Not that I roughhouse anybody, but yeah. But and and you might you might come to find that that you're a little more brazen than you think you are, or okay. that you've been a little more harsh than you thought that you were being. Okay. Or maybe because when I was coming up in the game, it was so much more intense the way that the chefs would treat you. So how are you, combat how are you combating that? Well, so communication is huge. You gotta ask people. You gotta, you gotta try and be like, hey man, even if, you think that the, even if you think that they're as happy as can be, you gotta be like, how are things going? Are you happy here? Mm. You know, if you just ask just them. Just communicate, put it out there. Yeah, and it's, and, it's, and it's happened to me. It's happened to me more recently than, than, than you know, you, you like to think that you learn as you go along and that eventually you'll learn it and yeah. it'll just be learned. But it's, it's not possible. Everybody's so different. Yeah. And even recently I had a cook and I was like, you know, how are things going? And they were like, they were like, you're, you're a little bit, you're a little pushy. And I was like, I was like, oh shit. I was like, I'm really fucking glad. I'm really glad I asked that because I did, I, I did not, I which did not realize point. that about myself. Which is a good point. Which I'm happy sometimes this, these speed rounds aren't too speedy because the good stuff starts to come out. Yeah. Um, if this is a weakness or if anybody else out there is having the same, experiencing the same thing, put it out there. Let people know that this is a weakness and, and you got to ask too because ask. sometimes they because yeah. sometimes they won't come to you because because you don't realize that you're that you might be in a position that they you, think that you're in a yeah. position of power and that if they question you that maybe somebody else has been unkind you, to them and they think that you might like try to like hurt their yeah. career you've got to initiate it you got to ask yeah you, you got to create the culture where people know that they can tell you you're yeah being and, too pushy. and like i said i just recently learned that lesson and 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 i i i it, it very much got to me, and I, I had to think very deeply. That on culture it. Doesn't, doesn't. I'm still, happen, I'm still though. thinking about it, even right now. You got to create that. You got to mold that culture. You got to put it out there and say, if I ask you yeah. something, I want you to give me a solid answer. Yeah, just because somebody's showing up, yeah. just because somebody's showing up to work every day and they're doing the job that they're supposed to do and they're doing it thoroughly, doesn't mean that they're and they have a smile on their face. Doesn't mean they're happy. Mm, I love it. You know? uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? Well, th they have to be willing to do anything. Being a, you know, it's, it's the most annoying thing. I haven't heard it in a long time, but when I was in that corporate swamp, I heard it all the time. That's not in my job description. You didn't have a job description. Nobody <laughs> get, nobody wrote out a little paragraph of what yeah. your job was going to be, and it would only be that. You, I mean, there's there's no task. The dishwashers don't show up sometimes, and that's like the number one thing that cooks want to be like. I just don't want to be stuck in the dish pit. Like, and you got to be willing to do it, or like. You know, I, it's so funny. The the lights went out. We have like like uh, cr like Christmas light things. You know, those things are like popular to put on yep. patios now. Um, and the whole strand went out. You know, those things are like yeah. one bulb can ruin the whole strand. <laughs> and we were in the middle of service, and I had like I just cleared the ticket board, so I, I knew I had like you know what forty five seconds before twenty more tickets were about to come in. Yeah. And I ran out and I had to like climb halfway up a fence and scale the side of the building. I didn't have time to get a ladder or anything <laughs> like that. And I come back in and it's like 20 minutes later, we were on a really long wait. These two people come and they sit down at table seven, which is like when I'm working the pizza line in the open kitchen. I mean, they're four feet from my face. Yeah. They were like, they were like, so uh, we own a restaurant in uh, Natural Bridge, Virginia or something like that. And they were like, uh, we could tell that you were at least uh, like a partner or an owner and I was like how and they were like because you crawled up the side of the building like spider-man <laughs> it's, like, it's like you sometimes you, you know you got to be willing to do anything yeah you know, be it, a man. carpenter electrician <laughs> dishwasher plumber a lot you got to uh, do you want some advice on on if you're going to start up a restaurant or uh, read some books on plumbing yeah you right. will be doing some Jack plumbing trades uh what is your biggest challenge today 
my biggest challenge today, I think in lieu of that, me talking about those recent lessons that I learned is, is communication. Even though the, the, the advice that I gave was to have really good communication, that's not because I think that I do have perfect communication. Yeah, but you're aware of it. You yeah, know. it's because I think that everybody needs to work yeah. on communication. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. So these are like core values, a way to be, a way to hold yourself, a way to conduct yourself. Easy. This is the easiest one. Just be nice. Mm. Just be nice, man. Yeah. The, 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 the VRC, uh, the gentleman that owns it, his name's Andy McClure, uh, very good friend of mine. Uh, that was, that was one of the things that he taught me that, that I'll never forget. And it was just, it was that simple. Be nice. Yeah. He was like, if you can't, we would be like in a manager meeting, you know, at this point in time, we had a lot of managers you yeah. know, when you have a large company like that there'd be like 30 people and he would be like that's it be nice if you can't do just that if you can't even do just that then you can leave the manager meeting right now yeah be nice that's that's what i'm expecting of i you. love it oh uh, yeah. share one uncommon standard of service you teach your team so something that's common within your four walls but not common within the industry well so so it, i i I'm, I'm going to have trouble answering this question. Maybe I don't understand it. You are a back of house guy, but like service, meaning like like a, a level of service that's, uh, for example, whenever you... Well, I don't want to do something cliche like if you wouldn't serve it to your mama, don't serve it to the customer. You know what I mean? You know, like the, the one thing that has come up in the past, like, like there's, there's like a rule, like if you're, if you're 10 feet away from somebody, smile to them. If you're three feet away from them, Oh, you got time to lean, you got time to clean type like, thing. Like anything, like a standard... I think that's going to come back to be nice also. Okay. I think I think that, that, I think that that's... That, you know, our maybe maybe that question is really hard for me to answer because we have such talented guys working yeah, here. Yeah, you know, our yeah. guys, our guys. You know, one of the things that, that you also have to do when you when you're starting a restaurant or have a restaurant, and one of the hardest things to do is to find really good staff and then to to keep that staff. And, yeah, and we have like we've only lost like two people in the three years in the the kitchen. Uh, and one of them left because he got a job at Roberta's Pizzeria in Brooklyn. So he left to to move on up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Oh. Um, and the other guy was a dick. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is one book that will make us a better person or restaurant owner? I don't know if I'm gonna make a better person, um, but when it comes to to restaurant owning, if if I was if somebody was trying to open expressed interest in opening up a restaurant, the first book that I would tell them that they should read to get an idea of the way you should approach it would be setting the table by Danny Meyer. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard that a lot yeah. from yeah. people. So oh, so I'm gonna make you go one book. level one level deeper. What's the big the biggest takeaway you took from that book? Oh, so well, so and one of the things that I think that Danny Meyer is especially good at um, is is hospitality. You know it comes back to that be nice thing. Yeah. Like so many restaurants, I, I hate this in restaurants and, I, and I'm guilty of it when I've worked at a restaurant like this because it's so easy to do when you're just like rude to the customers because you're supplying them with this, this like, I mean not rude, but you can like short with them or like take their complaints and you know, yeah. not really pay attention to them. I'm done with that. I'm done with that whole, you're in my restaurant, you're in my restaurant, you'll eat the food the way I want to. Yeah. Let's, let's get back to a little bit of hospitality. Let's let gotcha. people come into your restaurant and feel like like anything, like you're going to do anything it takes to make their night. Got it. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, what is one online resource or tool? I'm thinking about changing this question because I feel like it gets some confusion. So I'm going to be a little more specific and say, what's one online resource or tool in the sense of a, a place you go online to get knowledge, a blog? This is going to this is gonna sound really... Uh, and I, but I, I firmly believe that this is an awesome tool that a lot of people don't use. One of the things that you need to do as a chef is 
find okay so when you're ordering so many like doo-doo restaurants are like restaurants that don't don't care as much uh they'll just like order honey and then whatever honey comes that's what honey they use you know there's different makers of honey even when you're ordering from like a commodity place like uh you know cisco or us foods or something like that they're gonna have like five or six different types of honey and then some are gonna be better than others so it's like learning what brands of things so like in particular like like vinegars, they, they go from like low quality to like extremely high quality. So I watch like YouTube videos of like chefs that I really admire uh, while they're doing like uh, demos in their own kitchen in particular. And I won't be watching the chef or listening to him at all. All I'll be doing is looking behind like where we're sitting right now. If we were videotaping this, I can see over your shoulder and we store like wine bottles and things yeah. like that. And I'll be looking at that shelf and seeing what brand of vinegar they're using. Or like, <laughs> so you can you can learn a lot of yeah you can learn a lot of this because you you can see what they're doing on the line, but you can't see what's going on back in that prep kitchen. That's, and that's cool. where all the real magic happens. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe people will think that's stupid, but I do it all the time. I dig it, man. So what is one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant? Like this is more like tangible uh, technology, uh, POS or uh, communication tools or anything uh, scheduling, anything like that nature that you're leveraging and really stand behind. Uh, well, so, so recently we haven't, we haven't quite implicated it or implemented it yet. Implicated, implemented it yet. It's, uh, um, chef tech. We've been working with them. Uh, they're a, uh, inventory system. And I feel really strongly that inventory, you have to keep, you have to keep a good track of your inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, 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 I mean, you can be, you can be a restaurant and be full every single night of the week with a line out the door. And if you ain't making dollars, it's going to shut down. So what was the feature that made you go with Shek Tech versus... So we haven't gone. We haven't gone with Shek I'm just okay. in talks with them. Yeah. Um, but it was... They have... Uh, their inventory control system is uh, sort of open uh, open source in a way that you can get together with them. And so like with the um, beef um, inventory, it's going to be pretty complicated over at the steakhouse because we're doing whole animal yeah. butchery. And, and especially because you'll be taking stuff like... Uh, the bones, you know, they come out of your yield when we were talking about yield and how heavy yeah. those are earlier. But they'll also be getting used for stock. So you yeah. need to like, you need to like subtract something from one thing and then like add it to something else. So they're working really well with me on trying to make sure that you can, you can do very in-depth um, um, yeah, inventory heard, in that way. And I, I haven't found anybody else that, that does. I heard you're also going with uh, a POS, not square. Focus. Focus. Yeah. What was it about focus? that you, So, to? so Shelly Rob is like, that's she's the queen. She is the queen bee in the front of the house. She's also the glue that holds all of us together. Yeah. Remember when you were like, how do uh, how do uh, you keep partnerships and make sure that yeah. they work really well? Have somebody like Shelly around that make sure that everything's okay all the time. Nice. And it really it really takes a lot of stress off of that partnership. But she, you know, with the POS, since I don't really. Uh, so one thing is that 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 uh, Chef Tech did Chef Tech did. I made sure that they played integrated. nice with yeah. They integrated with Focus. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, Shelly was the one that went through focus and she was like, she was like, it's the real deal. It's the good, good. She would definitely be able to give you a really yeah, good insight. I'm interested because that one doesn't come up a lot, but when it does come up, people seem to really be behind it. So I'm curious. Yeah. All right. The last question you're ready for. It. It's a big one. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom. Three things you know to be true about your success, the good of humanity, and just uh, for your legacy, to leave behind for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Be nice again. Uh, can't can't go back to that enough. Definitely be nice. Um, make sure that you surround, and we're doing, I'm sort of doing a summary of what I've already said, but make sure you surround yourself with quality people. Yeah. Um, 
And if you didn't like me, I don't care because I never gave a fuck. <laughs> nice. Oh, man, this has been a great conversation, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and your mentorship. Uh, we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire and think needs to be made an example of as a guest mentor on the show? Well, so it's got to be two people, um, uh, Tristan and Ben, uh, who own Oakheart Social here in Charlottesville. Uh, it's one of the best restaurants I've ever been to in my awesome. life. Uh, I've been there and myself. those guys are good people and they take care you know, we, we put a lot of effort and, and a lot of money t- into making sure that we treat our staff exceptionally well, or I'd like to think so. Maybe they, maybe they don't agree, but I'd like to think that they do. Um, and those guys do the same thing. They put, they, they treat their staff so well and I admire that. Beautiful. And if we want to connect with you, uh, what's the best way to, to follow what you're up to connect with you, ask questions. Uh, you can hit me up on, on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you know those handles? Facebook, I don't know what the handle is. Just look up Mitchell Behrens yep. um, in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I believe that my uh, Instagram is mceatsalot81. All right. We'll find it and we'll link to it in the show notes. This is episode four. And make sure you follow Lampo and Prime 109. Ooh, that That's <laughs> Otherwise, you're just going to see a bunch of pictures of me like playing with my dog. If you want to see <laughs> if you want to see, see the good stuff, go to Lampo and Prime. We'll link to all those in the show notes. Again, this is episode 498. Head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash four nine eight Mitchell again thank you so much for taking the time no thank uh, you for having me on I really appreciate it was it. my honor there no is- no no the honor was mine <laughs> there is no questioning my man you are unstoppable unstoppable <laughs> All right, there's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Man, I love these guys over at uh, Lampo Pizza and soon-to-be Prime 109. And uh, we'll see who else we're able to get on the show to represent this group. I don't know if we'll get all five partners, but so far, two out of five and maybe maybe three out of five by the end of this week, I think Lauren is going to be coming on the show to, to share his perspective. And the reason why I'm doing this, the reason why I want to get these five folks on the phone is because of the, the, the ecosystem that they've created within this partnership of, uh, you, you know, they, they all, instead of uh, making a ton of money, they chose to take considerable pay cuts to have a sense of autonomy, a sense of uh, creativity, a sense of, you know, doing the stuff that we get into this industry for in the first place that 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 sense to to give back to create to explore to, to, to have that that freedom to do what resonates with you and i think that's probably one of the biggest takeaways from today's conversation is uh don't chase the money chase autonomy chase that sense of self-governance uh, and it can be so powerful also uh, having the mentality that uh, in this industry, we, we serve more than just bodies. We serve souls. And that was a lesson that uh, Mitchell picked up from Chef Tomas over uh, soon-to-be uh, Quality Pies. And uh, Chef Tomas recorded with him the other day. He's coming on the show. That's a, a good one. Be ready for that. And then lastly, the, 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 the other big takeaway from this is, uh, you know, find the right partners. Take the time to get out there, to meet people in the industry, to get experience, and find other partners that are in the industry that have restaurant experience that have the same ethics standards and value as you so great stuff today guys like always please do reach out to me eric at restaurant tell me who you want to hear from 
tell me how I can best serve you. I'm here to go to work, but I got to know where those pain points are. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. The best way to support this podcast, though, is simply by sharing it. If you know anybody who's aspiring to be great in this industry, uh, you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. So help them surround themselves with the best in the industry. And then uh, I'm on the road, guys. I want to hear from you. Currently in Richmond, Virginia. Going to be hanging out here until maybe the 10th or the 11th of July. Then making my way towards Texas with possibly a stop in Atlanta or perhaps New Orleans. So this episode is going live on July 2nd. Uh, Please reach out to me if you have a spot for me to crash in any one of those two cities on my way to Texas. Or if you're out here in in Richmond and you want to connect, I love connecting with my listeners. I love hearing who they think I should get on the show. Uh, You guys basically create the content. Uh, You're telling me who's out there, who I need to make an example of. And uh, yeah, think of it as a filter. So help me filter through to the good guys and gals that are out there that need to be made an example of. All right, guys, that's all for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.